Welcome to Digital Marketing for Financial Planners, the podcast where you learn which digital marketing strategies are working best for advisors. We interview financial planners who share what is working or not for their practice. Here is your host, Jake Wagner. Welcome to the Digital Marketing 4FP podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Wagner. And on today's show, we have Jody Jacobson from the Human Skills Institute. Jody, welcome to the show. And how are you doing today? Hey, Jacob. I am doing great today. Thank you so much for welcoming me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm really eager for what it is that you have to share with the audience First thing I want to start off with is just, can you tell me a little bit about you, your firm, and um, and how you uh, came to the financial planning profession and being a part of it? Well, thanks, Jake. So I'm a strategic thinking partner for financial planners. At this point, I pretty much work exclusively with, with financial planners and advisors. And I work with individual practitioners and firm owners and their teams and I offer uh, business and marketing strategy development, action planning, training, and, and then implementation support. Because as we all know, having a plan is great, but implementing it is another thing altogether. Uh, so I do that through consulting and, and coaching. Nice. Well, and um, yeah, so I guess, could you tell me just a little bit about, you already told us a touch about how you found the name of the Human Skills Institute. Can you just share with us a little bit about how perfect of a name this is and a little bit about what happens at the Human Skills Institute when you're working with a financial planner? That's a great question. Thank you so much for asking that. So, yeah, it's a great name because I firmly believe that it's absolutely essential for planners and really all professionals, but I work with planners, so I'll talk about financial planners, to understand their core strengths, what makes them who they are, and not just their core strengths in terms of how they work, but how they think, their personality. And because to have a really fulfilling practice, it's important to work from strengths. I absolutely believe that however you wanna look at it, life's either too short or too long, to try to fix your weaknesses. It's not fun. You end up being stiff and not real authentic. And so I help planners first to really understand what their key strengths are, what their core thinking style is, what their core personality preferences are, so that they can use that as a strong foundation for identifying who it is that they most love working with to develop the business strategy, the offers, the pricing models, the things that are going to allow them to be most authentic in their communications and just in their everyday work. And then to deal with marketing from their strengths as well. Hmm. So how is that, so are you talking about, I really love the idea or the concept of just accepting your weaknesses as you acknowledge your strengths, thinking at least for me, it happens in that order. Is this also going into, are you helping folks find the right like help and support and support staff? Is it also about helping bring on another CFP who might actually be on like the succession path or understanding if someone's capable of the succession path or not as a new hire? And then, you know, I guess I'm going to ask you in a minute on how this relates to the outbound approach and how that works with prospects and clients. 
as you're helping an advisor understand their how their weaknesses and their strengths line up, um, how does that work on the inside of company operations, especially when it comes to hiring both support staff and CFPs who might end up being on the succession path? Yeah, beautiful question. So let me give you a couple of examples of things that I've been doing that I think will illustrate that the best. So this week, I worked on a project with a firm where the goal was to understand the personalities and the strengths, thinking styles, all those things that I mentioned of each member of the team, but of the, and then of the team as a whole across the individuals. And then, so what we did is we talked about what does that suggest in terms of your ideal marketing strategy? What does that suggest in terms of who your ideal clients should be, your target market? Because their goal is to get more clients. And get the right clients too. Get more of the right clients with yeah. an eye on succession to make sure that G2 is going to be building a robust practice and continuing to bring in new clients. And what's true for them is that what worked before isn't necessarily working now, but they've never really done a, a stop action to look at what's the positive core of, of our firm, of our team. Do we each fit our roles really well? And how can we best support each other in particular? What would be the best marketing strategy for us as a firm in order to leverage the strengths that we have? And if we find that there are blind spots, which in this case, like everybody else, I mean, they have some blind spots because they gravitate to really two uh, very complementary personality types, which are great for serving financial planning clients and for working in their business. But as is most common with the marketing issue with financial advisors, those skills of being able to zoom in and be very detail-oriented and very specific and great fact-finders and all of that can work against planners when it comes to marketing, which is just a sort of a backwards way of thinking compared to financial planning. You have to zoom out, see the big picture, and, and so what we discovered is they don't have a whole lot of that zoom out energy. Hmm. And so they need to understand that when they look to spend their marketing dollars and they need to make sure that they understand who their current ideal clients are so they can get more referrals and so they can have a good internal marketing plan where they're building per client revenues and getting more referrals and then do market research. And this gets around to do what you, the, the second part of what you're asking, they need to do market research to really understand who their current ideal clients are so they can find out the psychographics and the demographics. So where do those people look for information? How do they mm -hmm. make a referral? Then they'll know how to use services, how to invest properly in services like what you offer. I mean, you can't really do an effective job in hiring somebody to work on search engine optimization, SEO for you, if you don't understand what the keywords are going to be for your yeah. ideal clients. And the best way to find that out is by doing market research with your current ideal clients. Mm -hmm. So it, it all starts to work together in a very strategic way. So if you understand yourself really well and your team really well and your ideal clients really well, and which ideal clients you're going to resonate with best, you can develop a marketing strategy, manage your investment in support, 
for the marketing because you don't have to have a new brain. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's much more cost effective to to outsource and 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 bring in others who can who can help with that and build on what you've already have too. You know, Absolutely. I mean, if you have a bunch of people that you've been that you've loved and worked with for decades, let's let's take each of the different pieces of those folks that you truly love, put them into what I call an ideal client worksheet. That's one of the things that we do with our clients. And so that you end up creating a fictional character as well. And there's actually some like compliance flexibility that happens right then, too, because mm. now you're talking about a fictional character. So there's no ability to reveal confidential information or anything of the like. And and also as we step into the digital world, something I like to tell clients is, is that Facebook's real job is to understand what we like. And Google's real job is to understand our intent. And so even if you do find the right way to get in contact with an ideal client, you also have to pop the question at the appropriate moment when they're actually considering that stuff and open and available. And, um, and really, I don't think it's a good idea at all to think about businesses in terms of target markets. I think that understanding it from a persona, avatar perspective, an ideal Mm -hmm. client perspective, whatever you want to call it, it just provides the robustness that's required to really do what is required of a planner or really any small business nowadays with digital marketing and especially in a COVID world where this is our primary way of reaching people nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree completely. And so let me just define when I'm talking about target market. Let me define what I mean. I'd be curious to know what you mean by target market as well. So one of the things that's very efficient, once you understand who your ideal client is, is then understanding where you're likely to find the most people like that. It Mm -hmm. might be a neighborhood. It might be a geographic region. It, it might be a profession. It might be a hobby. Uh, Michael Kitsis talks about the planner who's a bass fisherman and mm-hmm. all of his clients are bass fishermen. Uh, and he's a billion dollars AUM or something like that. Just with right. pro bass fisherman. Yeah. Right. So all the target market does is it allows you to have kind of a, a community or a place to, to target at least, especially your communications. Mm -hmm. So it allows you to speak to a particular type of person. It doesn't mean that you can't serve anybody else. So for example, uh, my target market, if you will, (laughs) is financial advisors, financial planners, because the best way to become a go-to resource in a particular community is to be known in that community. So target market allows you just to try to maximize your reach to the kinds of people that you most love serving. It allows you to speak to them on your website, to choose the pictures you put on your website, to be relatable to them. It doesn't mean that you cannot serve anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I think, so I actually probably for my own just terminology, I think your way of using it is great. But so what I've thought about a target market, it's when a client or a prospect comes in and they say that I want to, my target market, I talk, ask them who their ideal client is. And then their answer is, I want uh, 55 to 70 year olds who are ready to retire. That's sort of a target market. And I see where they're sort of going in it. And maybe there's even numbers to help them pick what was mm-hmm. going on there. But that's almost sort of a pre-state to what you were just talking about. 
If you have an ideal client, which is the individual person, an individual person, and that's describing the psychographics, the likes, the dislikes, the magazines they like to read, the folks they like to listen to, what TV shows they're about, all of that kind of stuff, that starts to give you greater insight on where you're going to find them. And then it's from what I'm hearing from you is that you're taking the next step with that. And also going back to, I guess, the sociological perspective too. If it's like, this is the kind of person I want to work with. Well, where am I going to find the most of them? And that's how you're using a target market is it's almost like, well, you know, if I'm going out and I'm fishing, I know that I like the look, I like this pond over here. And there might be some good fish in that pond, but I've got to pick. And so I'm going over here because that's going to have more of what I'd like to take out of the pond. And um, it, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And, and I like the way you say that more of what I like to take out of the pond. I work with financial advisors because it's the kind of person I love working with. They Same. tend to have a balance <laughs> of being a little bit nerdy and, and analytical like me <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and very client focused also like me. So it's a good match. So hopefully, hopefully we choose people that we just have a natural affinity, either people we have a natural affinity to, or people we're most equipped to help and to enjoy helping them, even if we don't have that, that same natural affinity that I'm describing. Well, and a part of it for me as well is that it's, um, it's, I love the conversations that I have with financial planners, that there's one, I have been to more continuing ed courses that I haven't gotten credit for because I've never <laughs> needed to, that I can count definitely more than most CFPs need to in every, every two years and all of that kind of stuff. So I just understand the business and I also understand the profession, especially with what my dad taught me. But it's also, Jody, for me, it's really, it's the impact that I want to make in this world mm-hmm. is by working with financial planners. You know, part of how I position it is that I want to be a marketer because I feel like a lot of planners, even just with some of what you described earlier, like it's not necessarily their strongest first language. And so I want to help with that. And I think it's a good place to do so. But the reason why I want to do that is, is that we all need help with our financial lives and that as financial planners and as the profession gains more traction, more common knowledge amongst folks, that they're getting the help that they need. It's changing the industry too. But there's the most people have at least heard the word or the term CFP by now, whether they understand what it means and how that person can help them, that's still evolving. But Versus 20 years ago, where no one knew what that really meant, and you had to define it every single time. And I was, it's kind of like Zoom in the COVID world. I've used Zoom for like eight years. But now that we're in this pandemic situation, I haven't had to train anybody on how to use the button since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. For some of us, you know, like you and me, it, it's just business as usual. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because we're used to working by Zoom and phone and Skype and whatever else there is that people want to use. Yeah. And being able to be a digital nomad and being at like FPA retreat and go and retreat even more for an hour to catch up on work. And uh, yeah, being able to have that away, that's that's how we conduct our work lives. And uh, very different than if someone's a waitress or something like that right now. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that you've been doing this too, but one of the things that I've been working on with my clients during this period of time, because I, again, I do business and marketing strategy coaching and a little bit of life coaching because 
you know, part of it. I'm, most of the planners I work with are in some kind of major transition. Although, I mean, at this point, I think in our lives, most of us are kind of 24 seven. The entire, yeah, the species <laughs> has a case of transition right now. Yeah. Without a yeah. Doubt. We're clearly in the middle of no decision zone. <laughs> right. But one of the things that I've been helping them with during this time is to is kind of face the dragon, do some of the things that scare them. Uh, in order to kind of get to that next level. And one of the things that scares a number of the planners that I've worked with during this period of time is doing video and, and using social media more, but really kind of breaking through the fear of being on camera. And, and so we've been working a lot on that and it's kind of looking at creating a schedule, a seasonal schedule of topics to focus on and having a good short script and then how to leverage that content, like you and I were talking about before this recording, about uh, using voice-to-text software so that they can repurpose everything that they do. Because if you put together the content for one short video, you can transcribe it and use it as a blog post. You can put it on LinkedIn. You can put it on Facebook. You can tweet it. And you can actually probably have an assistant do some of those things, exactly. which is a really difficult step because our, our, whether it's a parent planner or an office manager or something, like they don't necessarily understand the inside of the profession. And so by having something that they can scan a transcript of and say, I really like how that sounds, then it's probably good enough for prime time. And that's a great efficiency. Yes, absolutely. So Jody, I have a question for you. <laughs> Can you just like your, I'd love if you could just tell us a little bit more about some of your tools and your services and your approach as we dive in, like how, what does this look like when you're looking with an individual firm or an individual planner and these life skills and coaching and just some of what you've shared with us so far, how's it play in? Yeah, thanks. Well, it, one of the things that I like to do, uh, whether I'm working on a consulting project that's about long-term planning or that team project that I was describing in order to build a marketing strategy that builds on strengths or whether I'm helping female planners in their 30s and 40s you know, who started in the firm when they were 20-something as an intern uh, mm -hmm. and now want to be taken more seriously, which kind of starts at home <laughs> to change their own internal dialogue. I always like to start with doing a set of inventories, things like things that listeners have probably heard of, like the Myers-Briggs type indicator, Colby, Clifton Strengths. And then I have... And, and, and I also have to plug, Jody. I have to plug yeah. the DISC profile and our Crystal Nose podcast that we released a couple ago. It's wonderful tools and, and the DISC program has been around for a hundred plus years too. And they can give you some of those tests. Everyone who's listening, if you go over and listen to that episode, you can go to a place where you can take everything that Jody's talking about here and get those assessments for free. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, it's good. That's good to know. Well, mm -hmm. so one of the things that I do is mm -hmm. I administer those as well, and including a couple of others that come more out of learning theory. So they're more thinking style oriented and a little less workforce oriented. And I, mm. I like to use... I, DISC is a wonderful tool. For me, it, it has a little too much of a human resources bias to it. And I like mm. to use a whole battery of these because each one has biases from the people who developed it 
And so I like to do what in statistical analysis would be called analysis of analyses <laughs> and, and look at a profile, pulling the best insights from, from the best of what each of those inventories has to offer. And then we can look at what the individual's business goals are. So whether it's getting more clients, which would mean that we work on developing a marketing strategy and the right offers and the right pricing model and under and identify target market and revamp the language for their website. And I'll coach my clients on how to convert a prospect to a client because there's sort of an art to having that conversation or having a stronger team whatever it may be in order to to grow their practice or to grow their self-esteem and their leadership capabilities will build on that foundation of understanding their signature ways of being, working, and thinking so that they can sustain the success. So I, I, that's a little bit conceptual. Each client is, is very different, but we'll, you know, we work on those things either through an ongoing coaching relationship, which tends to be a very intimate type of, of relationship that's all private and, and we have a plan of action. And then we also deal with things as they come up because the best way to learn is just in time, whether it's a longer term a consulting sort of a project. I just am absolutely convinced from the wealth of my life experience, my fairly eclectic training and working with planners for as long as I have, that it's truly the best way to move forward. And, and also, I think for those of us in, who are on the helping side of it, I'm able to adjust my approach so that I can be most effective in the teaching aspects and the peer coaching aspects of what I do so that I can gear it toward how my specific client thinks. But we do any number of things. And, and really at the core of so much of it, is building greater confidence. And again, that, that's why it's so important to really understand your strengths. I find with a lot of women in, in financial planning, a lot of them got into planning because they're very strong analytically and they were really good in math. And they tend over the years to marginalize some of their softer skills, which again, <laughs> Seth Godin says, that's a competitive advantage moving forward. And so some, with some of my clients, it's a prospect of help, helping them feel really good about some of those strengths that they've been marginalizing and to unblock those, unleash them and really apply them. And the same thing is true in teams. Uh, businesses have cultures and sometimes the culture can unintentionally block certain people from being most productive. And again, I see this a lot with women who are really ready to move up into leadership roles. So how do you help empower, how do you empower a woman who doesn't seem like she's actually, like she's, she's got skills to provide to her firm and those skills aren't necessarily being recognized by the firm, and there's a potential there. So it sounds like it's a redirection of awareness or energy or, or what, but how do you help unclog those pieces of confusion? Yeah, well, another great question. First of all, it's very individual, but again, a great place to start with that is to do this battery 
of assessments. And then we talk about it. And in the process, you know, I get a lot of information about life story, the internal story that a woman is telling herself. And very often, very often what I see is she joined the firm in her early 20s. She was she was very young when she joined the firm. And so she was seen as a dutiful daughter. <laughs> and now she's a powerful woman 12, 15 years later, but mm-hmm. she may still be telling herself internally that the way to success is to work really hard, to put my nose to the grindstone and to always say yes and to work really hard and be dutiful and not ask for much. Is that sort of also playing into uh, some sort of like archetype situation? I mean, you know, is it sort of like the lessons learned from how to, it's like unlearning some lessons that were made to learn from a institutional culture perspective and then figuring out how to apply those untapped skills to her business? Absolutely. And that, that's really well stated. So much of this, so much of that story gets set up in school, at home, just throughout life, in the workplace. And we all bring our stories into the workplace. There's this, <laughs> there's a really good book with a terrible name that was mm. recommended to me ages ago. It's called Your Boss is Not Your Mother. <laughs> it could just as well be Your Boss is Not Your Father. <laughs> and it's about how we all bring those storylines with us to work. And so it's just natural that we get to a point where we have to untell some of those stories. And I mean, it's always remarkable to me to work with a young woman who's highly successful as a financial planner, and she's been working since she was in her early 20s. So being in in the workplace, working so diligently in such a focused kind of profession it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for some of that developmental growth. And so she reaches the point where she's about to become partner and she wants to ask for, for certain things moving forward in this next stage of life. And usually there's some kind of triggering event where her old way of being just is too constraining and She's really ready because there's something that she sees on the horizon that she really wants. And she knows she's got to change her story because nobody else is going to do that for her. And the best way to have other people see you differently is to change your own internal monologue, as one of my clients like to call it. Absolutely. You have to work on yourself first so that you can bring that back to your spouse, your family, your friends, your business, your clients. And I think in that order, I think of, as I review it. I mean, you know, the remarkable thing that I find is that it's a transformation. By the time somebody gets referred to me and we start working together, it's a surprisingly quick transformation because you know, people don't usually work with a coach or a consultant until they've been thinking about something and they have a certain amount of discomfort around it. One of my favorite theorists calls that positive disintegration. I mean, they get to a point in their careers where the personality constructs that are guiding them are starting to feel more like a straitjacket because, mm-hmm. because there's something newer. There's, there's, there's a part of them that's wanting it to become. And those old ways of being are keeping them from being who they really are. 
because as we know, a lot of those old storylines were written for us by other people. Mm-hmm. And this is and doesn't just before we could agree to them too. <laughs> that's you know, right. A lot of the times we consented to that agreement before we knew how to speak. That's right. And this doesn't just happen to women. No. It, it also, I work on the same kinds of issues with, with my male clients. It's just that it's a trend that, I, that I'm seeing more and more is, is women who are reaching the point of, of being a partner in the firm who see that as a way of sort of changing the contract a bit. And getting on a more of a level playing field then as well. Does that sound right? That's right. So I want to say a uh, very fancy phrase from one of my mentors, Ken Wilbur. And I think this is, this is the extremely wordy way to say what you said simply, but it's, it's important. And a lot of the times, folks, as I'm speaking, whether in person or on these podcasts, I am using the integral paradigm. It is the subject of one stage of life becomes an object in the subsequent stage of life. And basically what that means is the things that we held on to and we really thought of and even had a strong portion of our identity attached to it. As you grow and as you mature, those things start to slough off and you can see how those, those elements aren't you. The, at the end of the day, you're, you're you. You aren't your job. You aren't who you see in the mirror even necessarily, but you're you with that simple feeling of being. And a lot of times it's just so hard to unpack all of the societal agreements that we've, uh, we've come across and actually do that hard work to really understand who we are and how we want to put ourselves forward and to have the human skills to really be able to be the person that we want to be when we're reaching out and working and talking to the world around us. Wow. Well, thank you for, thank you for saying it so beautifully. Absolutely. And again, one of the reasons that I like to do those assessments and that exploration of core strengths at the very beginning is because uh, in Appreciative Inquiry, one of the theories that I really liked that my mentor, Jane Magruder Watkins was working on was the idea of continuity, novelty, and transition. So that in positive change, the continuity piece would be akin to doing those, those personality and thinking style inventories, learning style inventories, work style inventories, and looking and having the client look at which, what sounds most true here and what do I really want to build on and pull forward with me. Mm-hmm. I can let other pieces fall away, but this is, this is yeah, that, that's who I am. That's how I feel. And, and having some language around it, having some reliable research data around it can make, it can help a person feel better about those, those aspects of themselves. But then what do I want for myself? How do I want to be and what do I want to be able to do five years from now, 10 years from now, whatever time frame it is? And then the transition piece is, so how do I build on the best of of what I have to work with? How do I pull forward those parts of myself that, that I like best, that I trust best, that I feel most confident about? How do I build and give space for some of the pieces I may have marginalized over the years in order to live into that future that I most want to create? And that's sort of a philosophical underpinning of the work of the Human Skills Institute. 
And then there's a concrete piece, which is all the tools and techniques and, and strategies, action plans and implementation practices and habits that it takes to actually make those things happen. So what are some of the challenges that you frequently see as you're working with clients? What are some of the, what some of the harder examples of what folks might have to wrangle with as they're uh, coming to understand the new them? As they're coming to understand the new them. Well, the best way that I can answer that is, this is going to sound like, uh, like a a personal plug. <laughs> but <laughs> That's okay. Part of why One I wanted of the... to have you on here. I want folks to know about what it is that you're doing Thanks. and how awesome it is. Thanks, yeah. Jake. One of the best things that, that any of us can do is, I think, to find the right coach at those times who, as Ed Jacobson used to say, you know, can hold an unwavering positive image of who we are, what we're capable of, our potential for the future, and to be from developmental psychology, I, I remember being fascinated by the idea that parents are mirrors, they're, they're reflective lenses for their children. And so, you know, our facial expressions, our children drink that in and it acts as a mirror. So when they say something and we're really excited about it, they feel great about themselves. And in a way, coach or a consultant can help with some of that reflection that it's wonderful to have somebody who can celebrate your incredible epiphany, your amazing aha when you when you decide, yeah, I'm going to rewrite that story. You know, and then I get the email from my client who a week before was feeling like she was in the wrong practice and and she decides to stand up for herself and she gets a $15,000 pay increase by just having the gumption to ask for it and being able to celebrate that and, and help see how to build upon that for then their next approach is great because we don't have our parents anymore. And maybe they were one of the reasons, you know, that we have some of these negative internal monologues going on. That, that, that's mm-hmm. true for a number of my clients. For worse and better, I think all of us get some of that. That's why a Sigmund Freud is still, you know, a lot of psychology is down on his methodology, but there is clearly something he's tapped into <laughs> that uh, gets all of our goats. That's right. So, I mean, that's what my coaches do for me. That's what I hope that I can do for my clients is just help be that reflective lens of of who of who they are right now and and also reflective of, of who they can and will be. So Jody, I want to use this example of uh, this client that you were talking about and you've talked to us a bit about what her challenges were and also you know why it was worth it. And it also sounds like a lot of folks who come to you that they've done the the dark night of the soul part and they're they're starting to come the dawn's coming and they see the new reality that they the new world they want to go to but there's also just do you actually you know bite your fingernails off and go and, and take the leap and do it if in this case like is there anything if you were talking to this woman, like you talked to her after she's been a part of this practice for a long time and, you know, clearly not a next gen, even if she's within the age range, what would you tell her if she was a, do you have anything to tell her if she was starting it all over again? If she was starting it all over again. Would there be a different way to position the entire time? Or is this just, 
And this is really tough stuff. I mean, maybe it also just took 10 or 15 years to have done the personal work to decide to say like, no, I want to be a part of this firm and I think I need to get paid better. But I also know everything you're talking about is very much goes back to the pay differential between the sexes and the men are more likely even just in like the hiring process to ask for more money than a woman is. And also when it comes time for that raise moment, it's I started a business instead of asking for a raise, I guess. Although my last, my last company, they, uh, they, they didn't survive, but, um, but still asking for a raise is one of the hardest things that a person can do regardless. And, um, yeah. What would you tell somebody if they were, uh, if you could start them at the, would you, sorry, I'm rambling in my question, but. <laughs> Would they, is it best for them to have had to do that hard work or would you like to start with someone early? And you're wrangling with some really big issues that I think this is each person's dealing with some of our societal stuff. Do they need to have just clocked in that amount of time or can you give them advice on the beginning of it so that they would never have to experience these problems in the first place? Wow. Maybe we need to consult with Ken Wilber on that one. He probably has several <laughs> chapters. <laughs> I'm sure he'd talk for at least an hour straight on that. Yes. <laughs> so I'd love it if you could just expand a little bit on the nature of like, what is appreciative inquiry and how is it different than you know, the conversation that you and I are having right now? Oh, well, I don't know that it's, all that different. But appreciative inquiry, it's, it's actually a philosophical approach and a methodology for asking questions. So they're scientifically designed questions. And, you know, when you get really good at it, it looks really easy. But there's an art to it. There's a science to it. And it's basically a way of looking at what's right here and how can we build more of it. It was developed I'd say it was operationalized, you know, it was put into a methodology by uh, David Cooperwriter at Case Western University, which is where I got my Appreciative Inquiry Master Practitioner Certification. And I'd first been introduced to Appreciative Inquiry by Dr. Ed Jacobson, <laughs> my late uh, husband and business partner. And uh, I, was, I was introduced to it with my heels fairly dug in <laughs> because I came from more of a systems thinking scientific-minded sort of approach. But what I found with Appreciative Inquiry is that learning the questions, the sequence of questions that build on your positive core strengths, uh, your core values, and then help you have a vision for what you want to create in the world. Because in Appreciative Inquiry, we say, if you can see it, you can be it, and that words create worlds. So it's a fairly word-based kind of an approach but I use it in all of my, in all of my coaching and in all of my consulting, which again is one of the reasons I like to use the assessments at the beginning. So we can see what are your positive core strengths, not just from the stories that you tell me. So in appreciative inquiry, it would be from stories of your peak experiences when you've been your most effective. And I also like to bring some data <laughs> into that, some measurement into that through the assessments. And so you can have verified faith moving forward that these really are your core strengths and you have experienced success with that way of being in the past, that even if you're going to be approaching something really scary in the future, that you can have the verified faith that 
that you're going to be okay. And so, so really, truly, that's kind of a Ken Wilber-esque, <laughs> long-winded way of saying <laughs> that appreciative inquiry has a methodology behind it. So if we were to do this interview using an appreciative inquiry methodology, there would just be a very particular uh, sequence where we'd be folding, we'd be uh, inquiring into meaning and then taking that meaning and folding it into the next set of questions, like, like folding uh, egg whites into a, into a batter. Uh, mm. it's, it's a sequential process that, that builds on itself and it's very generative and it doesn't slough over the obstacles. Uh, it doesn't whitewash the, the problems and the limitations. It just builds a scaffolding around some of the weaknesses so that you can use your strengths to do what Peter Drucker called that the role of the effective executive in his famous uh, Harvard Business Review article, he talked about how the role of the effective executive is to understand his or her people's strengths and to build upon those in such a way that weaknesses are made irrelevant. And using an appreciative process is, is a great way of doing that. Absolutely. And I know we haven't been able to spend too much time in person yet, but I also know what I've learned from Ed and, you know, some of the other just on, on the receiving end, because I haven't been trained in appreciative inquiry. I've just seen it in action. And I just I feel really heard. I feel like there is sort of a warm hug with how the conversation <laughs> occurs. The, even if I have some sort of guffaw where I'm not my best or didn't feel like I'd put my best self forward, that Ed would still appreciate that and see what good I was trying to do, the positive benefit that I was trying to make, and, um, and let the negative portions kind of slough away, not to ignore them. I mean, there was definitely acknowledgement, but we still put our focus on the positive parts. And, and that's something I just always really appreciated about him. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was wonderful. Along with his incredible puns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind definitely. of doctors were you guys? I forget. Uh, pardon me? You're a paradox. Is that right? Yeah. He liked to tell people that, that, the reason that he wanted me to get my PhD is so that he could introduce us as a paradox. <laughs> P-A-R hyphen O hyphen D-O-C-S. <laughs> yeah. So, so grateful for everything I've learned from him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, me as well. And, and at the time we're recording with this, we're also, we're coming up on, he's been away too long and too little for you right now and for all of us. And, um, just uh, appreciation for the process that that you're going through, and, well, um, we, we and, all... and your strength for what you share with us too. Thank you. So it's, it means a world to us. Either if it's here on this podcast or on the What Is Phenology one as well. <laughs> well, and you yeah. and you and Natalie are your models for me in honoring in the way you've honored your dad's uh, legacy and the, the your Phenology podcast and the wonderful work that you're doing very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. And in a similar vein, it's amazing how much work it is to get some of these what seemed like a small step accomplished. You and Ed had a plan and it seems like you're still rolling that plan out. And I know it's the same for me in those regards. Yeah. Yeah. So Jody, as we're getting towards the end of our podcast here, our recording, could you, are there 
resources? What is it that you want to make sure that the audience has that they can go and look up later? Even just, I'll get ahead you on this one, everybody needs to go to, is it humanskillsinstitute.com and or is it the human institute? Uh, humanskillsinstitute.com. Where should we go to learn about your stuff and what would you like to make sure other people or our people also knew about? Well, thank you, Jake. Yeah, the, uh, listeners can feel free to email me at jody at jodyjacobson.com and it's J-O-D-Y and Jacobson is S-O-N. <laughs> so <laughs> I got two easy names to say, but they could be spelled a number of different ways. So Jody at jodyjacobson.com uh, or there's a way I, I'd be delighted to offer listeners a, a free 30-minute consultation you know, if they'd like to talk about how to transition from where they are to where they dream of being in their practice, in their lives, or you know, if they're dealing with a major transition uh, in their practice, uh, they have a vision for, for what they want it to be, for the meaning they want to create in their practice, or they just want to make sure that they get more ideal clients or whatever it is that, that they'd like to talk about that would help them get from where they are to where they, they want to be, I'd be delighted to offer a 30-minute consult. And uh, there's, a, there's a registration link on my website at humanskillsinstitute.com. Uh, or again, just send me an email and we can do it that way. And you know, Jake, there's, there's a question you asked me before and I, I, I don't want to skirt it. I just want to make sure I circle back around and address it about things that I would suggest to my clients to do differently, you know, if they had a do-over, if they could do it all again. And it's a question I've been thinking about a lot, just even in my own life, because I mean, I'm a person, I have a PhD, but yeah, I mean, I dropped out of college at least five times. (laughs) I took a a few roads less traveled to get to to where I am and, and never really planned my life. And I'm pretty darn happy with with how it's all turned out and and is still turning out uh, living in a rather emergent way. And so if I had my life to do over again, yeah, I'd I'd probably be an engineer or an industrial engineer or or something of that sort. But I'd probably do a lot of work that's that's similar or maybe exceeds what what I would have done had that been my training. And I would say the thing that I would invite everybody to do is to practice some forgiveness that of themselves <laughs> because we we have each day as it comes and sure some people have planned their lives out to the t and and things have worked out well but for most of us there are starts and stops and disruptions like the coronavirus that make us question whether we feel fulfilled and there's enough meaning in our lives and and so I would invite everybody not to beat them to if they're beating themselves up on woulda, coulda, shouldas, that to stop it, <laughs> which sounds like a should. <laughs> and I apologize for that. When it said that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a great proponent of readiness. And I'm a great proponent that what makes us better for our clients for all the struggles that, that we went through to get to wherever we are now, however we got there. And so just em- embrace it. I mean, it, it's what we have. It's, it's what we can build upon. Who knows where we'd be if, we, if we'd taken a different course. Mentoring is wonderful. And a lot of younger women in planning 
are getting some wonderful mentoring. Uh, I happen to see a generation of women who just didn't have the benefit of that. So find a mentor whenever you can and wherever you can, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's a coach, clergy, um, close friend, whoever it is. It's just never too late. And we are, we are made of all the wisdom that we've learned through the right decisions, the wrong decisions, and all of that. Agreed. And on that, Jody, on that note, Jody, I think that I think we should let this call come to a close. And I'm just sort of slowing down my voice a little bit and just feeling into everything that you just shared. And um, I'm just finding my own inner appreciation. I want to ask before we go too far down this, is there any last pointers or anything like that that you want to make sure to share with the audience or um, you want to come to the close with? Well, thank you. I love that question. It's one that, that I always ask as well. And I would just say that, well, I'd like to say I really appreciate the work that you've been doing and the way that that you've been carrying on your dad's legacy. And, and I can feel the inspiration behind that. And I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity now to, to talk with you and, and to also have, have spoken with uh, Natalie, your sister on the Phenology podcast. And you're deep thinkers. And it's not just the usual podcast. It's not all about doing, it's, it's about being. And I would encourage everybody to, to listen and and to read whatever you guys have to offer because there just aren't enough opportunities to engage in that kind of, of deep thought. And so I, I very much appreciate that you're, that you're creating that. And I am very interested in learning more about what you do. I'll have to interview you for my podcast. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that our work has a really nice play together as well, Jody that you and I both talk about ideal clients about the same amount, but we also, they really like right hand to left hand, they go together. And I yeah. think they're, they're huge compliments to each other. And I really like the, the way and the eye that you bring to marketing, as well as some, you know, some of the thought that you share with your clients and some of the depth that you go to. I try to do a lot of that, but then there's also a lot of mechanic work that we do. You know, where it's setting up, you know, new website or new email marketing, paid traffic campaign, what are these analytics and dashboards, which is all crucial conversations. But we also really need to have these conversations too. So I really appreciate everything that I learned from you through, through this process and through these conversations. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate it. And I appreciate you. Thanks. No. And uh, and me too, right back to you. (laughs) And with that, folks, I I appreciate you a lot as well, even if we've never met. And if we have, even more so. And if we've uh, hugged and been able to meet at FBA Retreat or Next Gen or any of those things, I um, appreciate all of of everything that you guys have shared with me. And um, and also feel free to write into us here. And um, everything that Jody has mentioned it's going to be available uh, through the podcast, uh, make sure to email her and we will also have that on the blog post for this podcast and you'll be able to get to there from the show notes as well. Don't want to leave you hanging. Want to make sure that you get access to these incredible materials. And um, with that, folks, make sure to listen in next time. And thank you very much for listening to this episode of Digital Marketing for FP. Take care and I'll see you again soon.